0: Hello, friends! Welcome to the software world. I'm Jandost. Here, I'm on a mission to make connections between the software industry and our individual and unique lives. We all have a common goal of solving problems with software. Whatever happens on our journeys will not stay mysteries anymore. Hello, friends! Welcome to the software world with Jandost. Today, I'm on a mission to learn more about accessibility. My guest is Eric Bailey. I discovered Eric on Polywork and contacted him directly to talk about accessibility. These days, I'm trying to learn more about inclusive design and accessibility. That's why having Eric was a great opportunity because he has an excellent knowledge and he's very humble to share all of them. Eric is an inclusive design advocate, developer, writer, and speaker. He has written more than 100 articles for many places such as Smashing Magazine, CSS Tricks and Shopify Partners. When you listen to the episode, you will learn the basics of accessibility, also the importance of inclusive design. And also you will hear more about what you can do as a software engineer or as software engineering leader when you are already busy adding one feature after another in a project. Eric's suggestions are so simple and extremely powerful. Eric also has multiple cool projects around accessibility, and you will hear about them in the episode. I enjoyed our conversation a lot, and I hope you will also enjoy it. Welcome, Eric. I'm really glad that you are here in Software Virtual. And this is a topic that I'm really, really curious to learn more, and... I'm really happy that you are here to teach me, kind of, or introduce me to the area of accessibility. Welcome. Yeah, Thank you for having me. It's really good to be here and to be speaking with you. Thanks a lot. So I want to really directly start asking you like many, many questions, but of course we're going to start with what is accessibility and where does this A11y come from? Because many people does not know that. and. I'm also a bit unfamiliar with the explanation of accessibility.
1: Sure. So for your first question, accessibility is the practice of making things capable of being used and accessed by people with disabilities and in a digital context that translates to websites, web apps. App, apps, software, Uh, programs—that can also translate to the built environment as well. So, building access, you know, different services, uh, you know, basically anything a person can do (laughs) in the world. The term A eleven Y, if you you may have encountered on the web, is what's called a neuronym, which is kind of like an acronym but with numbers. So the eleven stands for the eleven numbers in between. A, which is the beginning of the word accessibility, and Y, which is the end of accessibility. It also reads a little bit as ally, which I think is kind of clever and intentional, but I'm not the originator of
0: this term, so
1: I'm not mm. sure how true that is.
0: <laughs> I think this fits really well because like the ally or allyship is also a topic or a term that is really related. So. If you have any idea of like what is ally in this context, why do you think it's related and it's, if it matches with this A11Y? No? Yeah,
1: that's a really good question. So I, personally, I like the term advocate because I will speak and write and go on podcasts about accessibility and inclusive design. And allyship, I feel, is something that a marginalized or minoritized group it's a label they put on you as opposed to a label that you put on yourself. I'd also like to say that like like many of these groups, the disability community is not a monolith. There's lots of different groups within it. So that's just one thing to be kind of conscientious of as you learn about this space. You know, I have my friends that I've made and the people that I know, but that doesn't mean they're representative of, of the entire spectrum of disability.
0: We are talking about this, like accessibility and everything. And in these days, I hear more and more about it and both like accessibility and diversity and inclusion and everything around it. And I'm really happy to hear those terms and also like actions and things more uh, related to that one, because I also believe that is very important for society to be inclusive for everyone and in any way we can. But why do you think in specific accessibility is really important?
1: Sure. That depends on where you live, I think. I think big picture, it's the right thing to do. In the United States where I live, it is a civil right. So it is one of the most kind of important legal protections that you can have as a citizen many other countries have similar charters and treaties. For me, it's, especially digital accessibility, is the world, software is eating the world. You know, everything that we do for better or for worst is is online now, (laughs) or if it's not, it will be soon. And you want to be able to ensure access and You know, it's one thing to be able to pay your taxes online with a screen reader, which is a form of assistive technology that some low vision and blind people use. But it's really important to remember that, like, you're a person in the world and, like, this should extend to things that are not just related to government. So, you know, should I be able to order a streaming movie because I had a really tough day and I just want to unwind? Yeah, should. I be able to do that with the technology that I use to, you know, browse regardless of what it is. Yes, of course. You know, should I be able to post on a forum to chat with my friends about some niche industry topic or Slack or discord or, you know, whatever the flavor of the day is? Yeah, of course. You know, should I be able to order takeout? Yeah. You know, like there's a very important case that happened in the disability accessibility space for Domino's Pizza, where basically the plaintiff, you know, sued because they couldn't order Domino's Pizza and quite rightly was found, you know, that like this was, this was a problem and the entire case rested on, you know, the line between a physical storefront and a virtual one is basically so blurry these days that it's functionally the same. And it's like Domino's is, is bad. It's crap pizza. It's gross. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, I think
0: we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, should this person be able to order it just like any other person should? You know? Yeah, of course.
0: But you said for the countries, like the, depending on where you live, we can take a look at it from different perspective. It's, it's all depending on where you live. So I'm living in Europe. And when I think about, for example, Germany, we have like the all healthcare system set up here and et cetera, everything is so supportive for the social system. So it's more like a social government when you think about that, but I still see, I'm not sure about the government side, but when I take a look at it from the private sector, like the private companies and etc., it's still lacking behind a lot. And this is the part where I kind of struggle. Why? most probably a bit profit based. Do you have any pinpoint that we can just say, hey, yeah, this, this is why it's more lacking? Or, or maybe it's getting better that I don't know. I just don't realize it, right? So I feel that it's getting better, but I'm still not sure. Yeah, I, th- I think your instincts are spot on.
1: You know, Germany in particular, if I remember correctly, has actually pretty um, specific laws about website accessibility. And as you've as you've noted, you know, just because the law says something doesn't mean everyone necessarily does it, and this is a very delicate way to say accessibility on the web is very poor, which is unfortunate, but I do believe it is getting better if you get involved in accessibility work, you learn to love small wins over a long period of time, <laughs> because it's you know code is difficult, but it's the easy part, like writing a, a Boolean or an attribute or is, once you know how to do it, it's pretty easy. But like you correctly pointed out, making a priority for accessibility and inclusion with multiple competing interests, that's, that's the tricky bit. That's people and profit. If you have a good way to address that, I'd love to hear it because, <laughs> but no, I, I'm seeing accessibility more and more in the mainstream mm-hmm. for web design and development. And I think it's good, and it's only going to get better.
0: Yeah, once we we keep working on it, I think. And when you mentioned accessibility and inclusion together, it reminds me of one note which I saw on a website that I also want to touch upon that one too, in a LI or A11Y project. I saw a phrase in the website says, accessibility is important, inclusion is essential. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and maybe more on the side? How does accessibility play with inclusion and how can we be more inclusive?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's another really good question. So historically accessibility work has been removing software access barriers. So I cannot fill out a form if I can't use a mouse. That's an access barrier, and that's related to accessibility. That's important. Like, you should be able to apply for a job if you are, you know, qualified to work there. And I have some friends who have not been able to apply for jobs on the internet because whoever built the job application form excluded them. Inclusion is, systematically, is everyone capable of being aware that that job posting exists? Are they being considered? What are their needs? Historically, have they faced barriers to being present in the spaces that, you know, are roads to power, are roads to being a participant in in the dialogue in in society? And surprise, surprise, oftentimes disability is very prevalent in a lot of these marginalized and minoritized uh, groups. So. I think you can't have one without the other, but I think it's important to frame this as not just like fixing code to make screen readers work. It's about, you know, removing barriers to access in society to enable everyone to be participate and be present.
0: So one thing you said, it's not about fixing the code to pass the screen reader feature. I've never thought about like I never thought on this way, but This is like, I think there are some people who are doing it exactly like that. Because I remember in my uh, early career, we were developing a mobile application and it was my first job after after university. And we were developing a banking application, which Accessible plays a big place there. And then... There was like the task of accessibility, implementing those accessibility labels in every button, every every everywhere, really. Like, and then we were testing it and etc. Luckily, I was at that time. I thought, luckily, I'm not working on it because it's a difficult thing. And I'm talking about, I don't know, seven years back. Maybe it's it it's better now, but it was a difficult thing at that time because the case is that. On on mobile phone, it was an iOS application. But then like you need to like all the time, swipe, click, swipe, click and hear the word. Is it correct one? Then you sometimes you are not picking up the elements correctly and then et cetera. This is like extremely painful process. It was at that time. Maybe it's better now. I don't know. But this made me think as a software engineer from the software engineer's perspective, how can I approach to this work? And what can I do to make others' lives better? Sometimes I don't have any say in in the thing that I'm working in, right? So, but I should be able to have an impact on it somehow. Do you have any, like, I don't know, recommendations or anything that might be giving a hint for anyone that can say, oh, okay, maybe this way I can find some have an impact? it doesn't have to be concrete but any anything works yeah
1: yeah i mean i think first the biggest barrier is being aware that accessibility digital accessibility exists i think a lot of software development and software development education overlooks it historically so that's always something that's like i, th- I think a lot about of the optics of you know, you pour your heart and your soul into this project you're really proud of. And then at the 11th hour, somebody you've never heard of before comes in and says, oh, you know, you got to add the accessibility. And you're like, the what now? And then you have to learn an entirely new discipline. And usually there's not a lot of guidance. So like, you're like, you know, if you care about it, you're like, I want to do a good job. I want to like help people, but you don't necessarily know what you're doing, if it's going to be effective or not. So like just being aware that the space exists is huge and having an open mind to wanting to make things better. That's to me, that's the hard part. (laughs) So, (laughs) and then the other thing I'm a really big fan of is the term shift Mm left, which is as much as possible, take access questions and inclusion questions and move them towards the beginning of the product creation phase. So if your banking app had a, like, slide something to, like, unlock something or to send a transfer, you know, you can build that. It's pretty easy to build in a mobile app framework. But what do you do if you can't reliably move your your hands or if you have hand tremors and you can't actually reliably hold it down and drag it in the way that the app wants you to? So you can make it workaround for that, you know, right right before you hit production or you know or you can in the in the planning phase you can come up with a a more inclusive way to get go about that transaction you know if that swipe button can be a tap tap to send and then tap again to confirm you know that's far easier for a lot of different disabilities to use and you still get the same kind of effect which is to say i Oftentimes I'm very grumpy at designers um, (laughs) and I feel a lot of sympathy for engineers who are often tasked with this when a lot of the damage honestly gets created in the design phase.
0: That's so interesting because right now when you say we can think about the swiping and then replacing it with, I don't know, two tabs. And then when I think about this, I just felt that I found a way. To change something because usually when I think about software engineers and the job of software engineering with design we always have these feedback loops between design and engineering whatever you are doing doesn't matter I mean you might be working in an agency as a software engineer and then design directly comes to you you can always you always have a say at least saying hey this is not doable let's say it this way or you always have a say now with your kind of a thinking framework like approaching it from uh, giving a feedback to design and taking care in the design phase now i feel that i have a place to talk about it or mention it thanks a lot this this really helps to me now also at the same time now i'm a team lead and now this is a bit different position i'm thinking like what can i do as a team lead right because okay as a major maybe software engineer that's, I can give a feedback uh, to design on the design level, but in, as a team leader, maybe an engineering manager, I might have more bigger impact, right. And in earlier stages, that's why it's a bigger impact, but is there anything that I can do more as a, maybe a leader besides giving feedback on design?
1: Yeah. I firmly believe that accessibility initiatives are doomed to fail unless they have executive buy-in so the higher up with influence that you are um, the more successful this program is going to be because you know that is how work gets done so if it is a top level consideration that's great if it's backed up by somebody in a position of influence that's even better you can appeal to authority for candidly the people that aren't interested in doing it and may be hostile to the idea of adding it to their workflows. For someone such as yourself, also congratulations. <laughs> Thanks um, I love it when basic accessibility testing is part of acceptance criteria because it reframes the conversation away from here's this extra 11th hour thing to here is a you know a QA check that we should all collectively agreed on. Like, this is how quality software is built. And so like bare minimum, does it do this? No. Okay. This is a bug just like any other, you know, it's not ready to go out yet. So yeah. you know, try it again and let's see, let's see yeah. how it goes. It's not um, done, right? So, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Definition of done. So you said accessible testing, is it something that we can automate or does it have to be manual? Because I remember back again, my iOS development, times and it was manual so I don't know right now but engineers are usually a fan of automation is it something we can automate yes and no <laughs>
1: <laughs> like a lot of things in software it, it depends yeah, <laughs> um, again yeah. again it depends <laughs> yeah so there are automated test suites out there for both web and mobile and I enthusiastically recommend them and specifically I recommend a continuous integration, continuous delivery approach, because we have all been there. We've all ignored the lint linting warnings to just kind of get something pushed up, (laughs) or we don't remember, which you know people are fallible for humans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But if you have you know a immortal, omniscient robot that's just looking at all the code coming in and being like, "Mm -mm, I don't know about that, like that's a lot easier to handle, and that catches a lot of kind of the low-hanging fruit. That being said. There are like bigger usability issues that you should be checking manually. And then I'd also like to further point out that the way you would use assistive technology, you know, hop in for half an hour is a lot different than how a daily user of assistive technology probably Mm -hmm. will operate something. So the most effective thing you can do is have somebody that uses assistive technology on a daily basis give feedback. And what I like what automated testing does here is it removes a lot of the little stuff that like, you know, it's, it's kind of a waste of their time to give you feedback on things that could be programmatically detectable. But like usability and like expectations, that's great. You can't test for that automatically. So being very strategic about how you use their time.
0: It, it feels like UI and UX testing more. Like you can automate UI, but you cannot automate UX testing. I'm going to steal
1: that quote. I love it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. 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 Like, you know, uh, one of the things I like about inclusive design is, you know, it is good design. So it's like the same way you've ever experienced a frustrating website with your mouse or your trackpad or, you know, your finger on a touchscreen, that same experience, like a frustration can exist for a assistive technology user. Like you're both trying to get the same thing, just in a different way. And, you know, it's the same thing as like, you could technically maybe muddle your way through, but it's not fun. You don't have Mm -hmm. a good time. It's not efficient. And it's the same thing for, for an assistive technology user as well.
0: One thing I think we can easily say that accessibility is not related, fully related with disability, because when I think back and i sometimes come across with some websites which has custom scroll built in which doesn't feel natural at all like some something is different there and when i like scroll i just see things that i don't expect to happen and i cannot really control it and i think we might argue that it is a ux issue but it's still i think it's accessible to because you don't have to have an disability to To face those problems, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, I'm of the school of thought that, like, accessible design benefits everybody. It is, by definition, for disabled people, but the things that enable them to use the web are also usually very helpful for everyone else. You know, and, like, at its heart, a lot of accessibility work is about choice. So, like, if you're scrolling and the scroll's all messed up and, like, you get the parallax scrolling and you're like, what's going on here? Like, really the kind way to do that would be to ask you what your preference is. And you will see this sometimes on some really nicely designed websites where, you know, check this to play the video. So you don't open up with a full screen, you know, bandwidth hogging like flashing video that might have like some seizure effects to show your cool new product. But like that's an assault. <laughs> like I should I should have the ability to choose whether or not I want to experience that as opposed to having it thrust upon me without without any choice.
0: I saw a couple of websites doing that like asking you, do you want to disable animations or some other stuff, which is so cool. And I usually disable them like because I'm not interested in animation at all. But I think it plays a big role in the accessibility and we are talking about accessible design and also we have accessible projects and now I, i want to pull back a little bit to the part when i mentioned the a11y project which in the website, it says accessibility is important. Inclusion is essential, which by the way, I freaking love this saying. And this is why I'm just re- constantly repeating. And most probably I'm going to write it on a post-it and put it on my wall and then just keep it on, like on I- I side. Can we, can you talk a bit about A11Y project? Because I think it is important and I think our listeners deserve to know what is the project about.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So the A11Y project is a website that is a open source resource to learn about digital accessibility and inclusive design. Historically, it was more on the accessibility end of things. So like, here's the code that you can use to make a form, you know, accessible. It's slowly been shifting kind of to more inclusive design. So like here's people's lived experiences, here's design considerations that may not necessarily be in code. But the idea is that it's all out there. It's free and importantly, it's open source. So if you want to add stuff to it, you are empowered to do it. We also feature a blog or basically posts by individuals, which is open to anyone if you are interested. We pay $75 US per article because writing is work and we want to honor that. We also have a checklist and the checklist is a list of common accessibility issues you will find on a lot of websites. It's not comprehensive, but it's enough to get you basically really thinking about how to think through these things and what to be aware of, and it links out to the web content accessibility guidelines, which is kind of like the official rule book of like, you know, here's the legally binding definition of how this constitutes an access barrier. It's just phrased in a far more human friendly way. (laughs) And then again, this is also open source, which is this kind of information should be free and it should be available to everyone and they should be able to uh, contribute back to it as well. We also have. Resources, which is just a gigantic list of links broken down by category. I need to add sorting and filtering to it because right now it's too big. <laughs> but books, podcasts such as this one, talks, you know, different disciplines, professional companies that will help you in the event that you get sued. Just a huge corpus of information. PDF remediation was a whole other thing if you ever have to make a pdf don't make it a website it's far easier I'm to, trying make it. to stay,
0: I'm, trying, I'm trying to stay away from making pdfs all the yeah. time it is it's a it's a whole other
1: world that i'm glad i don't have to do and the people that do it are unsung heroes but yeah it's it's been around for a very long time it has very good seo presence because it's a jamstack site and just sits there with a lot of good information and a lot of people link to it
0: yeah i saw the checklist and to be honest i i really like the checklist because those things those items on the checklist were so small some of them you can just squeeze it in when you're opening a pr there are like many items on that list you don't have to spend really time on it it's just adding one field sometimes saves a lot of things or changing the mindset and setting the correct thing is changing everything on the project
1: yeah i i like where your head's at another really important thing to know for a lot of accessibility work is a little goes a long way so like you know there may be this notion that you want to like we're going to have an accessibility sprint and you know we have two weeks three weeks to just you know, knock through as many accessibility issues as we can that always kind of gets put off and put off and put off but like a small little code change here and a little you know tweak there can have a really dramatic impact on someone's quality of life so you know it's i think it's it's a lot easier or a lot better to just slowly chip away
0: at it as opposed to trying to like get it done once (laughs) and knock it all out it's like a scouting rule right so whenever you are doing something like for example i come across a lot of times that people are identifying issues when they are reading the code and they are just fixing it when they are identifying directly because it's so small you don't need to talk about it you just go and fix it and many of those things can fit into here once you know them And that's why I really appreciate all the effort in A11y project, all the web page and all the things around it. This is so much useful. Thank you. This is really, really nice. And I hope everyone will benefit. Yeah, thank you. You know, it exists for exactly for people such as
1: yourself. So I'm glad you got use from it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's one more thing that I want to talk about. Actually two, but this one is kind of important because I really like the idea because here we are talking about changing the perspective and having an empathy and you have this empathy prompts.net website when i saw it the link only and the name it didn't ring a bell but when i get in it's like oh that is so great everything about accessibility depends on empathy and This is the part where I think is missing most of the time because when people don't have the empathy, they usually fail to include accessibility work in the project. They don't do it basically. And having this website and these prompts, those are really helpful. Can you talk a bit about those empathy prompts and how the idea came up? Yeah, thank you. So for me,
1: it's it's The website's in a bit of a tricky space because simulations are oftentimes ineffective as empathy building tools because, you know, you put a blindfold on, you can take it off that isn't reflective of a blind person's lived experience. And there's actually an effect where for these kind of short-term empathy exercises, oftentimes Lessens the sympathy or the empathy of the individual because they can go back to how they normally move through the world and they're like, oh, that was easy. On the flip side, the reason I created the site is because in the accessibility space, there is the bias that a lot of people think that accessibility is just screen readers. The interesting thing is that actually makes up a minority of the, the disability spectrum with depression and anxiety kind of being the majority experience. So the goal of the site is to kind of make you like make the viewer or the user, sorry, aware of different kind of considerations and different disability conditions and how that might affect software with the understanding that it's kind of more of a discovery tool than it is like a this is how to recreate somebody's lived experience. So it's a bit of an awkward space for me, but I think it still has merit as a discovery tool.
0: I really liked it when, because like it made me think in a different perspective. That was the case that I really liked it. And I see that you are doing like multiple projects and everything around these topics. And I also see that you're writing a lot. And I'm also trying to write a lot. So to, to think a bit more in different perspectives and maybe think more deeply about specific topic and etc. And where do you find the value in writing? Because I see you are writing in multiple places in smashing magazine or in other places as well. And I really think that your writing is good. And this is the question. Where do you find the value in writing and how do you feel when you're writing? Thank you.
1: Yeah. The value for me is twofold. First, selfishly, I write th- about things that are interesting to me so I can reference them at a later date, either internally, which is like, what was this? I can't remember. Or as a, like I told you so, so I don't have to have the same <laughs> conversation 12 times. I know, yeah. But I think f- for me, the more important thing is like I try to target these publications to get people thinking about these these concerns because the disability communities that I participate in are great, but there's a bit of preaching to the choir that happens, which is like you're talking to people about what they should do about problems that they already know, which isn't good in that, you know, it helps the community stay on board with what everyone should be doing. But if you can present it to people that may not be thinking about accessibility and kind of walk them through what, and importantly, like why I think that's, that's important in terms of writing. I'd also like to say that like, it's been a journey, but if it is something at all, you are interested in doing, there's like this weird intimidation factor for a lot of these larger publications. That's kind of not real. They're very hungry for content and they have staff to help you edit your piece. So like if you have this cool idea you've been working through, or if you have this like project where you learned a ton, like write it, write it, pitch it. Like if you get rejected, you know, you get rejected and that's, that stings, but also You can put it anywhere. You can blog about it. I read so many newsletters. I read, I'm on Twitter all the time, unfortunately. And for me, the important thing is like, I really enjoy learning about other people's perspectives, working through something, even if it's something that technically I'm familiar with, because I don't have your perspective and learning how you learn about it might help me learn about it even more so like i encourage you to write if it is a thing you're even remotely interested
0: in i think the part where many people find a bit difficult for writing that they don't feel entitled to to write about their idea because they don't think it's valuable and what you said in a moment was your perspective is unique to yourself and your your experience is unique to you and nobody had this experience as exactly same as you and however you learn i can learn from the way you are learning this is this is a great way to phrase it i think thanks a lot yeah
1: yeah the other thing is like the web design development space is a really bad superstar problem but it's important to know that like these famous names that you see you know writing these posts and giving these talks like they have nine to five jobs you know they deal with all the same crap you do (laughs) like they punch tickets they have office politics you know they get they write bad code and then refactor it like you know don't don't let that perception intimidate you because it's again it's (laughs) like writing about something is the easiest way for me to kind of like Open up a trapdoor into your brain and see how you see the world, and that's super cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, for for these like superstars in the in the industry, also for some of them, it's their job. So, like if you are working, for example, nine to five, nine to six as a software engineer, and want to write <laughs> something, and then you see some person is like giving talk after talk, another, and then writing five posts in a week, and etc. Sometimes it's their job, and they get paid for that yeah so for me this is kind of sometimes motivating saying that okay this is the job of that person and it's not my job to, to write about it so it's okay if i don't write five blog posts in a week yep yeah
1: it's also i mean this is a job it's a job that i as an individual take a lot of satisfaction from but i know plenty of very skilled talented designers and developers who you know they punch the clock at Mm -hmm. nine to six if you're lucky yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and then they they go be with their families you know they go have other hobbies and that is a perfectly legitimate way to exist in this world. That's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah,
0: it, it's it's. I think it's more fine in Europe. Like the, yeah. the cult, culture is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Like including myself, sometimes I just say like after six. Okay, I'm done. Let's see. See you tomorrow. I don't. I don't mind anymore. Yeah. 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 The U.S. has a
1: really bad work workaholic culture, and it's <laughs> not the best.
0: Yeah. That's okay. Well, thank you so much, Eric. I learned a ton of things from you. And for every project, A11Y project, empty prompts, and all the writing that you are doing, all the talks that you are giving, that's so awesome. And I really appreciate you as a person and also your time. You're spending your time on these kind of topics. And... Thanks a lot for being a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, this was an absolute pleasure and a privilege. And I, I really enjoyed our conversation. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the, the published version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, friends. Before you go, here is a quick summary of the actions you can take. First, check out a11yproject.com. Second, follow Eric. And third, develop empathy through implementing accessibility features in your projects. On a11yproject.com, there is an extensive checklist, as we talked in the episode. Go and look at that one, and you will see that there are many, many things that you can immediately start adding to the project in a very, very small pull requests. Now, click the link in the description or go to jandos.blog slash podcast and check out show notes for the links. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Eric as much as I did. Please don't forget to share the episode with a person who you think should hear about accessibility. If you share the episode on social media, don't forget to mention at Candost En on Twitter. Until next time, take care.